Hey, welcome to week four of Established 2022. This series is based off of two verses in Colossians 2 that says this. Colossians 2, verse 6 and verse 7 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, which so many of you have done just over the last four weeks, continue to walk in him being rooted and built up in him, and then here's our word, established in the faith. We believe that this word established is a word that God has for our church in 2022 because how many know that the beginning of any construction project is establishing a firm foundation? So for the last four weeks, we've been talking about all the ways that we establish that foundation. Like, like, we want everybody to experience God. We want you to experience what God thinks about you in this place. And we want everyone to find family. Like Ethan said, we're launching groups a week from today. Get excited to jump into a group and find some family. And then we want, like Doug said last week, we want everyone to discover their purpose. There's a reason why you're on this earth. Right? Discovering your purpose is all about figuring out what that reason is. This week, I get the honor and the privilege to, to end this series by, by talking about the fruit of the first three steps. When you do the first three steps, the natural fruit of that is that you get to go into this world and make a difference. Isn't that what you want for your life? Don't you want your, your life to matter? I know that's, that's why you're here. That's why you're a part of a church like Red Rocks. You want your life to have an eternal impact on this world. I've got really good news for us this morning and then some not so great news. So good news first, making a difference, this fourth step, it's so easy. Sorry, I said that wrong. I'll get it right in the 11 o'clock and it's important that I get this. Forget what I just said. Don't turn off the recording, I'm kidding. Deborah, thanks for watching. <laughs> hey, making a difference is so simple. So simple. Here you go. You want to make a difference? Write this down. Go love people well. Treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Love your neighbor. Look for opportunities to serve people. Be generous. You do that before you know it, your life will start to have this eternal fruit. You'll start to make a difference. You won't even know what hit you all just all of a sudden out of nowhere. You'll find yourself just as changing people's lives. It's so simple. The bad news is just because something's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Ian, there's my transition. You, you, saw, you saw what was coming. You're, you're ahead of me. Hey, just because something's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Let's be real. Like, like um, have you ever set out to, to make a, a difference? Like, you, you see a need in the world and, and a pat, something that you're passionate about, and you're, you're so ready to, to go make a, a difference, and you see the solution, you feel like it's so simple. You're like, here we go. But then a few days go by, and a few weeks go by, and a few months go by, and you start to realize that there are, like, some structures set in place above you and some systemic things that, that are keeping this problem going, and as much as you're trying to make a difference, it feels like you're just hitting your head uh, against the ceiling, and you tried a few times, and you keep a smile on your face, but that takes a toll on your soul, and so after a while, although you still have a smile on your face and passion in your voice, if you're being real, it's like your soul somewhere deep down is like hyperventilating, 
and, and you set out to, to make a, a difference, but your soul is getting so tired that at some level you're just ready to be content to let everything stay the same, you know? Or you go, okay, but, but I'll just be about the one, just like Jesus. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just be about the one. I'll treat the people um, uh, that I'm dealing with like human beings who need and deserve my love and respect. But then you go and you do that and you start to realize that the human heart is messy. It's like an onion. You begin to peel it back and you begin to see the, the, the not so great parts of it. And then you start to look at your own heart and you start to see the not so great parts of it and the, the, the motivations of like, man, am I just, do I just wanna be known as the person who's making a difference more than I wanna actually make a difference? Like that's gross and so now my heart's broken and my soul is exhausted and I set out to make a difference and now I'm just content to let things stay the same. Or you realize, well, so many of us realize that, that as soon as you start trying to be a part of the solution, you start getting blamed for all the problems. I don't know why. I still don't know the, the, the mystery here, right? But you set out and you're like, I'm just trying to help. I'm just trying to help and everybody's throwing all these stones at me and there's all this critique and all this criticism coming my way and I can like brush it off for a, a little bit but, but man, like that stuff gets into your head and then that's Satan's playground as he takes those lies and he starts to twist them. So now your head is a mess and your heart is broken and your soul is exhausted and it's like I set out to make a difference and now I'm just content to stay the same. Am I preaching to anybody this morning, right, this is the human condition that as soon as we try to bring God's light into the world, there is a very real darkness that pushes back. Call it Satan, call it the world, call it the flesh. Biblically, it's a complicated combination of all three of those things, but it's real. So I don't know about you, but sometimes trying to make a difference in this world can be really, really exhausting. So what do we do? Well, today I, I want to read a story for us. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's in Matthew chapter 9. And this is a story. I know I say that for like every time. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Like, how many favorites can you get? I don't know. All of them. But this one for real, I've, uh, in uh, multiple seasons of my life, um, have been in this like kind of intense point of, of exhaustion. I'm going to tell you about one of them at, at the end of this. And this chapter, Matthew 9, um, has been a game changer for me. And so I, I would invite you, we're going we're gonna to dive through it, dig through it today. I would invite you to, to remember that and, and, and meditate on this chapter and keep it close to your heart, um, especially when you're trying to make a difference and, and you're tired. Uh, it's a story about Jesus. And um, yeah, it's good if we're trying to make a difference. Let's <laughs> go to the guy that made a world of difference. Um, but more specifically, it's about how Jesus interacted with people. And um, hey, as we read this story, I want you to picture, I want you to put yourself, uh, I, like I want you to like, like literally put yourself in the shoes or the sandals, Bible joke, haha, uh, of somebody who was there that day watching Jesus, okay? One of my favorite Bible teachers ever, he used to tell me, he goes, Ryan, you're not using your five senses, I'd be like, what are you talking about? He's like, you're not reading the Bible with your five senses. What did it smell like? What did it look like? Right? What was the feeling in the air? Like, like this was a real story that happened in a real place 2,000 years ago. 
put yourself in, in, in the situation and used your, your divine imagination to, to learn something from this story as we go. So Matthew chapter 9, we'll start in verse 18. It says this, while he, meaning Jesus, was saying this. Pause for a second. So Jesus is preaching. Imagine you're there, Jesus is preaching. This is taking place in a small fishing village called Capernaum. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. We think there was about 1,500 people population-wise at this point, most of whom were fishermen, right? So they would spend their evenings out on the water and then they would sell those fish to the vendors. I picture this story happening at like 2 p.m. under the hot Mediterranean sun, so the, the, the fish that didn't sell have been out for a while and don't smell too great. And it's too hot and you're, you're sweating. And yet there's this new rabbi named Jesus who's preaching, who's saying these profound things. So you're like, hey, I'm here for it, right? I, I wanna hear what this guy has to say. While he was saying this, by the way, if you're reading the Bible critically, uh, the next question you should be asking yourself is, while, while he was saying what, right? Okay, well, if you back up and read all of Matthew 9, which I would encourage you to, to do this week, you'll realize that um, uh, in the beginning of Matthew 9, Jesus walks past this tax collector named Matthew, who, by the way, were, tax collectors were hated and, and uh, ignored by everybody. And then Jesus walks by, looks Matthew in the eye and says, hey, you're with me, let's go. And, and a whole bunch of people were like, Jesus, what are you doing calling this, this Matthew guy? Right? Like, don't you know he's a, a tax collector? Like, what's the deal? And then Jesus just starts preaching this sermon. He says things like, hey, if you uh, have new wine, you need a new wineskin for it. You know, and the people that are showing up later, like, hey, I was looking for the spiritual teacher. I think this is like winemaking 101. You know, like, where's, where's the rabbi at? And then other people were like, I think he's answering our question. Right? Like, maybe Jesus is the new wine who's coming to do something new. Because the old covenant says that an eye for an eye, Jesus said things like turn the other cheek. Jesus said things like love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said things like make room at the table for everybody, including Matthew. And maybe the reason you can't understand that new thing is because you need a new mindset. If you have some new wine, you need a new wineskin to hold that wine. Because the thing about new wine is it, it expands as it ferments or so it's been explained to me. So if you have an old wineskin that's, that's already stretched out, it's gonna burst. If you have new wine that's gonna expand, you, you need a new wineskin that can expand with it. And so if you're ready for the new that Jesus wants to do in your life, you better get a new mindset to come along with it. Hey, these last 21 days of, of prayer and fasting haven't just been about prayer and fasting. It's, about, it, it's been about helping you and encouraging you to start thinking bigger about what God wants to do in your life. But I feel like over the last 21 days, God's been calling some of you to a higher level of anointing to step into. And I'm just here to say you need a new mindset to go with that new anointing. If you're called to, to start a new business, you better get the mindset of a business owner. If you're called to, to, to be a better spouse or a better parent, you better get the mindset of a loving and faithful husband or wife and a present father or mother. If God's calling you to get rid of that old habit, man, you better stop talking like, like you still are, are a, like that habit's a part of you, right? Well, I'm trying to quit. No, I don't do that anymore. 
You need a new wineskin for your new wine. Not my words, Jesus' words. Also, not what we're talking about at all today. I'm just answering the question while he was saying these things, right? So let's go back to, to the verse. While he was saying what? While Jesus was dropping like paradigm-shifting truth bombs on the world, right? Like preaching the lights out. So, so well that we all just like implement and, and talk about what he, what he said 2,000 years ago. It's crazy. So while Jesus was preaching, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. So imagine you are there watching this new rabbi it smells like fish, you're sweating, but you're here for Jesus because what he's saying is just, just so profound. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody just interrupts him mid-sermon and is like, hey, Jesus, can you come with me? I need some help. Like at some level, I'm thinking, hey, man, he was just getting to the good part. Like the keys player came back out and the haze was going and he was getting to his ending sermon and like illustration and... We just make fun of our own church sometimes. I don't know. We can't help it. Jesus was just preaching. Let him finish. And you would think like savior of the world. Some people have this idea of Jesus that he would be like, not now. I am busy preaching the truth. Hey, if you want to make a difference in this world, you better commit Matthew 6, 19, this next verse to memory. Out of all of the profound things that Jesus said and did, this is right up there. Jesus got up and went with him. Mid-sermon. He's just like, all right. Oh, somebody needs help? Let's go. I'm not too busy for this. Right? Hey, making a difference is not complicated. It's very simple. You just get up and you go. You just keep your eyes open for opportunities to love people, and then when you see those opportunities, you go. This is what Jesus, this was Jesus' secret. This is what he did all the time. He just looked for opportunities, stepped into them, and went. All right, let's keep reading verse 20. For the next three verses, we're, so picture yourself, right? You're, you're there. We all there. We all using our imaginations. I have this really vivid imagination which is why I like sitting in coffee shops, and I don't know, it's just who I am. So if you're, if you're like, what is, what is he asking us to picture in our head? It's really good for you, okay? So, so, so imagine you're there, you're watching this all play out. All of a sudden, this rabbi gets up and he goes with this, this desperate father who needs help, right? And you're thinking, okay, well, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm going along for the ride, let's roll, right? And so now we're walking to, to this guy's house, where Jesus is going to heal his daughter. As we're on the way to the home, these next three verses are a story within the story, right? So, so um, yeah, they're like on the way to that home, and then Jesus has another interaction with somebody on the journey. It's really cool. It's like a play within a play. Because, hey, when you're walking in step with the Spirit, you'll find yourself starting to make a difference while you're on your way to making a difference, it's exponential. This is what Jesus walked in all of the time. So they're, they're on their way to go make a difference and, and then all of a sudden Jesus stops and he goes, hey, who just touched me? Touch me. And his disciples are like, there's like hundreds of people surrounding you. What are you talking about? And Jesus goes, no, somebody just touched me. 
Here's why. Let's read the story. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. This woman has been preaching to me all month. As I've been reading Matthew 9 over and over and over again, uh, I'm like, yes, yes, like, like she, th- this, is, this is what I needed to hear this month. Because hey, here's one of the greatest enemies of making a difference in this world. Are you ready for it? Self-reliance. Thinking that you can do this whole thing on your own. It's one of the great schemes of the devil. If he can't get you to, to stop following Jesus, he'll at least try to get you to think that you can do it on your own. Weird. And yet this woman is like taking such an illogical step with an illogical faith going, I don't know how this all works. I just know that I need to get to Jesus. I just know that I can't do this on my own. I can't rely on my own strength. I just gotta get to him. I love it. She's been, been preaching to me all month because for me, so often in my life, I can start to rely on my own strategy, my own wit, my own smarts to try to get myself out uh, of situations. And there's this constant, walking, following Jesus is this constant process of learning to go, no, not my own, not my own power, not my own power, not my own power. I was thinking um, back to when I was 19, when I first got into to following Jesus, I moved to Costa Rica and I would lead these, these mission trips. And uh, I learned real quick that uh, the, the teams would come down and the women would always be like so quick to open up and share. So like their groups at the end of the night would be like three hours long and they'd all be like crying and having these breakthroughs, right? And then the guys would, would their, our group would be like five minutes long, you know? They'd be like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, cool, great, you know? And so I learned this trick that if, we, if I got guys to work really hard, like physical labor, you know, and get them, get them mixing like concrete all day and sweating under the hot sun, then all of these walls will start to come down. And, and I'm, I'm 19 at the time, right? So give me, give me some grace here. But that was my only, only strategy, so that's what I did. And I pushed these guys like way too hard one day. And um, as we're mixing concrete, 2 p.m., Costa Rican summer sun, right? I just hear this scream from behind me. And then a bunch of screams because one of the guys passed out. He fainted. Which, because I'm 19, I think like we're all indestructible and nothing's gonna happen, right? Oh, right? And don't judge me for what I'm about to say. Everybody looks at me. I'm 19. And I go, everybody pray. (laughs) And so we sprint over to this guy and we all put our hand on him. In Jesus' name, right? So this poor guy, he, he passes out and then when he opens his eyes, 20 of his peers are surrounding him, touching him, going, in Jesus' name. Now, I'm older now. I'm wiser. I know that what he really needed was like some Gatorade and some shade. Maybe like one person, me, next to him, helping him like take a few deep breaths, right? Because I'm older, and I'm wiser, and I know better. And I can't help but think that as that has happened to me, that I've lost a little bit of my edge. Because although it wasn't the most logical step, I do love the illogical faith that I had. 
I knew back then the same thing that this woman in this story knew. I, we just need Jesus. I don't know how it's all gonna play out, but we just gotta get to Jesus. If we wanna make a difference, we just gotta get to Jesus. And you can write this down. If you wanna make a difference in this world, yeah, we need to learn how to take logical steps in the natural, but I think we need to get back to taking illogical steps in the supernatural. Be, be logically natural, or take logical steps in, in, in the, sorry, take logical steps in the natural, take illogical steps in the supernatural. Like I have some friends who are really good at understanding we need to take some illogical steps in the supernatural and just believe God for big things. But then they don't know how to take logical steps. And so every time I talk to them, it's inspiring, but they just talk about all these dreams their entire life, but nothing happens, right? And then I have other friends who are like really practical and really good at taking logical steps, but they play it safe and they don't have that, that, that edge of, no, Jesus can do all things. We can do all things through him who gives us strength. And I've been on both sides of that spectrum many times in my life, and i just been reading this story, and I want to get back to a point where I know how to take logical steps in the natural and then start praying some really illogical prayers. Maybe that's your thing this week. Maybe, maybe your one question to ask yourself is, hey, have I, have I been becoming too self-reliant? This thing that, that started, this dream that God put in my heart, am I now trying to get by by my own wisdom, my own knowledge? It's, it's a dance. It's a dance. Let's look at what Jesus says to her as soon as, as she comes running up. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Self-reliance is a great enemy to making a difference. When we rely on our own strength, we can make, we can make little impacts here and there. We wanna make eternal, world-shattering, world-changing difference. We need Jesus. Hey, let's be like this woman this week. Whatever that looks like for you, I just gotta get to Jesus. Push through the crowd, do whatever you have to do to get to Jesus. Let's keep reading. Remember, that was our story within a story, right? Now that happens, and they get to uh, the place where the girl is, and it says, when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. Hey, if you write in your Bible, underline this verse. Go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. Talk about that in just one second. Before we do, the next sentence says, but they laughed at him. Self-reliance is a great enemy to making a difference. You know what another great enemy to making a difference is? Cynicism. There's this whole other group of people who are about to witness one of the greatest miracles that scripture has ever recorded and they miss it because they're, they're outside laughing. They're going, no, no way. There, there, there's no way that that could actually happen. Cynicism keeps us from seeing all that God has for us. And I just gotta be really honest right now because my heart has the propensity for cynicism. I'm a skeptic at heart, and I, and I think that skepticism can be really healthy. Like, like, when I was eight years old, I was at, I remember this, I was at VBS, Vacation Bible School, and we're all singing this song, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, 
Better is one day in your courts than what? A thousand elsewhere. And all the kids are like doing the hand motions to it. I'm in the back on, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I'm serious. And it wasn't like, I wasn't trying to stir the pot. I wasn't just like trying to challenge. It was just my logical brain was like, eh, how could that be? You know, like a thousand days in one place. And then one day over here, of course, like the thousand days is better. Like, can I talk to my group leader, right? And like, hey, healthy skepticism. I'm just asking questions. I just needed someone to come up and say, hey, hey, so this is a direct quote out of Psalm 84, 10, where, where the psalmist is trying to come up with language to experience how amazing God's presence is. And this poem, this song that they write, they go, it'd be better to, to spend one day than a thousand elsewhere. Like if somebody had just done that for me, I would have been like, oh, okay, show me the hand motions. You know, like I, I, I got this, Let, let's go. It's just who I've always been. Healthy skepticism, question asking can be a great thing. Be careful not to let your skepticism become cynicism. Moments in my life where I've let that happen, uh, I'll say it this way. The fruit of cynicism in my life has never been love, joy, peace, patience, and good night sleeps. I don't know if that's been the case for anybody else. I've never been in a time of cynicism and woken up thinking like, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm usually just like pretty down and out and not much help when it comes to making a difference in this world. So let's break it down for just a second. The root of cynicism, for me, it usually starts with bitterness. Something or someone hurts me and instead of, uh, doing the mature thing, which is bringing it to God and talking to trusted, trusted friends, not gossiping, right? Talking about it with trusted friends and, and healing and forgiving and moving forward. Instead of doing that, I just let it sit and turn into bitterness because let's be real, like bitterness feels good for a moment. The problem is that, that bitterness has no good fruit. The fruit of bitterness for me has been exhaustion and apathy. Like, um, get to the end of the day after feeling really bitter and wonder why you're so tired. It's because you just expended so much energy being mad about something that's not happening anymore. Have you ever, you ever gotten back from vacation in summer in Austin and walked into your place and realized that you left the AC on for like two weeks? <laughs> the worst. It's like 100 degrees outside, and you walk in, and it feels amazing in your home. But then you just go, oh, this is going to cost me. <laughs> like, that's so much energy, you know, that, that, that has happened, and I didn't get to experience or enjoy a piece of it. Being bitter is like leaving your AC on while you're on vacation. Whole bunch of wasted energy. Going to nothing. Staying mad about something that... that, that is no longer happening, bitterness leads to exhaustion. And then my experience has been that after exhaustion, eventually I just get apathetic. Tim Keller once said the enemy, or the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference or apathy. Get to a point where you just go, I just don't care anymore. When I get to that point, cynicism is usually knocking uh, on the door, and, and once I get into that place, man, it's like, it's like I might have a smile on my face, but it's like my soul has nothing left to give. 
you know? I start to identify with the people who are just outside laughing, missing out on the greatest miracle that Jesus is up to because I, I, I want to keep a distance. Rather than creating things to make a difference in this world, I'm critiquing to keep my distance. Because if I just stay up in the grandstands and throw stones, then I don't have to be in the arena where I could get hurt. Cue the internet, right? Most creative potential right at our fingertips to change the world. If we could just use it with health. Instead of using it as an opportunity to critique like we could use it to create channels that build up the church, but so many of us are creating channels that just critique the church. Because as long as we just keep going, that's the problem, then maybe we don't have to deal with the stuff that's actually going on in our own hearts. And I, just in love, it's not a Jesus move. The example of Jesus in Matthew 9, and please know I'm preaching to myself. The example of Jesus in Matthew 9 is, hey, I want to be right in the middle of it with real human beings. I'll embrace the mess. I'll take that with me. But I, but I want to be there for the people right in the heart that, that need my help and that need my love. Because I've identified with the people who are outside laughing, but I've also identified with this next verse. It says this, final verse, and we'll end here. Uh, it's all right, it's all right. So, so Jesus puts them outside. He says, hey, all of you, all of the people who are just being cynical and laughing right now, can you go outside? Which I love, by the way. Uh, do you know that when it comes to dealing with cynical people and critiquers, we like, like you can just unfollow them. Did you know that? <laughs> you know that we can just block people? It's this beautiful thing. I mean that. Because, hey, part of that's on them. Part of it's also on you because there's a part of you that loves to get outraged about things. Let's, let's watch it. Let's watch that, that part in our heart. Jesus just puts the crowd outside. It's awesome. And then he went in, took the girl by the hand. She got up. Sometimes I identify with the people who are outside laughing. Hey, sometimes I've identified with the girl who's just laying there lifeless on the bed. Because for me, self-reliance eventually leads to cynicism, and cynicism eventually leads to burnout. Where I'm still alive and I'm still talking, but it's like my soul has, has nothing left to give. It's happened to me a, a couple of times. One time, um, back in 2015, I was a couple years into working at this amazing church, and in California and was learning how to be a pastor for the first time and um, was just dealing with some stuff in my own personal faith journey and my own personal life. And I didn't know at the time that um, I wasn't allowed to be vulnerable, so I thought that, that my job was just to put a smile on my face and pretend like everything was fine. Us pastors, vulnerability doesn't come naturally to us, typically, but we're getting a lot better and we're taking steps, so stick with us. And um, at the time, I, it was like I was, I was still there, I was still present, but I was, I was losing my soul. And, and I remember it all came to a T one Sunday morning. I was launching this new, I had this new idea to have this online 
class where we could teach people about the Bible, which these days it's like, cool, yeah, you and everybody else. Back then, I was like Steve Jobs walking around. You know, like, this is innovative, guys. And then the Bible Project came out, and I was like, just, they, they're doing what I was trying to do, but way better. I, I quit. Just go watch their things. But anyways, I'm, I'm, I spend the whole day, like, doing tutorials and teaching people how to use the, this new course, right? So it's like a whole day of people being like, I forgot my password, you know? And I'm over there like, like man, my soul is just done trying to stay present, but I don't have much left. And at the end of, of the day, I have a lunch meeting plan that I'm already late for. And I see this guy about 20 feet over there. And I can tell he's like looking for somebody to talk to. And if I'm just being completely vulnerable right now, I didn't want to talk to him. Not because I didn't like him, just because I didn't feel like I had anything to give. Something brought me to him. And I, I walk up to him, and remember, I'm already late for a lunch, and so I'm just thinking, man, how can I, how can I get through this right now and, and, and get to this lunch? And he goes, um, hey, I've never stepped foot in a church before. Um, my mom is an atheist, has been her entire life. She's on her deathbed right now, and she's starting to talk about God for the first time ever, and I don't know what to do. You guys... Don't know how to explain what, what happened next, but it was like my soul was completely burnt out. I was like, I was that little girl lying there with nothing left to give, and then Jesus just reached down in a moment, and he goes, hey, buddy, you're not dead. You're just asleep right now, and it's time to wake you up because we got a difference to make in this world, and, and something happens, and I just light up. I go, bro, What's going on? Tell, tell me everything. Here's what you say. And he's just like, I don't understand any of this language. I'm sorry, I'm new to all of this. And, and, and out of nowhere, I go, hey, let's go to your house. And I cancel my lunch, and we get in the car, and we drive to Huntington Beach in this really nice neighborhood, gated community, and, and we walk in, and this house is just like lifeless. And then we walk up the stairs, and this lady, the guy, by the way, was like 40 years old. The, the woman was well advanced in years. I never know how to say that properly. She's laying on the bed. Um, sorry, I don't mean to bring that. This is, it was a really serious moment. Um, she's laying on the bed. There's two nurses on either side of her. It's like, this is it. She can barely talk. We walk in. He goes, hey, mom, um, my friend Ryan is here. He has some things that he wants to say to you. My soul feel that has felt like it's been asleep for a long, long time starts to wake up, and I just do my very best to, to start from the beginning and explain the gospel. And I'm just going through every, everything that I know and sharing my own story and talking about how I'm so imperfect and I'm a skeptic and I'm so far away, but God in his love reached down to me and made a way for me, and he can do the same for you. And as I'm saying these words, as I'm saying these words, the son out of nowhere just goes, I haven't been a good son. And walls just come breaking down. He goes, I haven't been there for you. I'm sorry, mom. I've ran away. I've made all these mistakes. I'm sorry. He starts crying. She starts crying. I start crying. The nurses start crying. They have, it's like decades of healing is happening right before our eyes. And she goes, I want Jesus. I just want Jesus. 
and we pray with her, and then she goes, can I get baptized? And I'm looking at the nurses, and they're like, we can't, she's not getting out of bed, and so I go, and I get a glass of water, and I, I bring it over, like old school style, we baptize her right in, in, in her bed, and it turns into one of the most amazing, beautiful moments of ministry that I've ever experienced, and I almost completely missed it, because my soul was just done. And I still thought it was my job to dig myself out of the hole that my soul was in. And then in such a moment of grace, God comes down and he goes, Ryan, I got you, let's go. So as we reach the end of this series, man, church, we're here to make a difference. But let's be real, making a difference is really hard. That's the beauty of this series. When you get burnt out trying to make a difference, you know what the next step is? Experience God all over again. It's Jesus. It's the answer for the, the woman in that bed. It's the answer for her son. It's the answer for the nurses. It's the answer for me. It's the, the, the answer for the, the little girl on the bed. It's the answer for the girl, the woman who had the blood problem. It's the answer for the desperate father. It is the answer for you. It's the answer for me. It has always been, and it will always be the answer. How do we make a difference? It starts with Jesus. And so I've just been praying all week that this moment, would be a moment like the one I had all those years ago. That this would be a moment as we sing these songs that Jesus would start to say, hey, uh, that dream, it was never dead, it was just asleep. Hey, that calling, not dead, asleep, waiting for the right time, for Jesus to show up. Jesus to go, hey, let me bring you back to life. That guy came back to church the next Sunday. He looked about 30 pounds lighter. Biggest smile on his face. He said, uh, hey, my mom passed away on Tuesday. I've never seen her so content. I want to end what do I do? How do I be a part of this? I say, yeah, come on, let's go. That's what happens when we start allowing the love of God to push us forward into this world that so needs us, that so needs light. So you guys stand to your feet. Um, I was talking to my, my good friend David on, on Thursday and we were walking through this talk and I go, how do I end it, man? And he goes, hey, sometimes when it comes to making a difference, it can start to feel like a, a race. You gotta get to the finish line. Oh, I gotta make a difference for my church. I gotta make a difference. I gotta earn my salvation. I gotta earn my redemption. What if we started from a place of it is finished? What if we started from a place of Jesus going, I know, I see you, I'm here for you. What if we started from a place of sons and daughters? What if we started from a place of redeemed? What if we started from a, a place of already loved? What if we allowed ourselves to experience Jesus' love so fully that the identity is just there and then from that place just start dreaming? From that place, just start singing. 
from that place, just start loving people, not so that we can earn anything, but because we get to play a part in this invitation that Jesus has welcomed us into. That is where we start to make a difference, sustainable, long-term difference. So let's do this. Would you, would you guys just put your, your hands out in front of you like this, just in a posture of receiving, and you can close your eyes just for, for privacy, and I just want you to picture, picture Jesus right now. Whether you're the one out laughing, whether you're the, the, the woman who's just trying to get to Jesus, whether you're the, the little girl who's desperate for healing, whether you're the desperate father just trying anything you can to, to get through life. What if you, just based off of this truth, Matthew 9, just saw Jesus coming to you, smiling, grabbing you by the hand, saying, I've got you. We start from the finish line. It is already finished. Father, as we surrender to you all over again this morning, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that people all across this room and watching online would have that same experience that I had all those years ago, that you would reach down into the depths of burnout and speak new life. Lord, those, those dreams and those callings, they're not dead, they're just asleep. And so I pray right now that you would grab them by the hand and, and, and resurrect them and resurrect us as we get ready to go into this world that so desperately needs your love with a fresh wind and a fresh fire and, and, and a fresh understanding that all we have to do is surrender to you. So Spirit, move now like a mighty rushing wind all over this place. In Jesus' name we pray.